that I know is uh, where you're just absolutely overwhelmed with the privilege of the calling of God upon your life, that you get to shine light into darkness, you get to feed God's people on the the Word of God, and and really overwhelming to the point of tears. You just can't believe you get that great privilege. There are other times when I am jealous of the career choice of the maintenance guy at the bowling alley. A lot of that depends on how well you behave during the week. Well, the Apostle Paul kind of dealt with the same thing, right? And we see that uh, in this, this ex- extremely intimate and personal letter of, of 2 Corinthians, Corinthians, Corinthians. <laughs> and uh, you, you, can almost, you can almost feel his tears on the pages uh, as you read through this. Uh, one of my children sent me a meme about the Pauline letter saying that there are two types of Pauline letters. One, we are heirs through unfathomable grace to unimaginable glory. The other kind of letter is this. I am, as a personal favor, begging you sick little freaks to act normal for five minutes. (laughs) Well, in 2 Corinthians, and this passage today, you kind of see a combination of both of those. You see remarkable, deep, meaty doctrine. And he's given it to the people who are his most troubled church that have kept him, uh, 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 numerous times, uh, kept him in sleepless nights because of the way they behave. So let us uh, open up our hearts and our minds to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11 this morning as we look at this amazing comparison of the Old Covenant with the New Covenant from the pen of the Apostle Paul through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Let me go to the Lord in prayer for us. Father, in faith, we turn to you, and we thank you, God, for the glories of your holy word. Uh, Lord, we thank you, God, that uh, the very foundation of everything we believe has been given to us in a book, a gift of God, the greatest gift of God. And we thank you, God, that we do not have to grope in darkness and wonder, who is this God that made this amazing universe? Who is this God that gave us breath? Uh, Who is this Lord that holds all things together by the word of his power? Because your word tells us his name is Jesus. So in the name of Jesus, we come before you in faith and pray that the Holy Spirit would fill each one of us and would apply these truths to us. Help us to pay attention and help us to go to school on the Apostle Paul and on this wayward Corinthian church and learn the great truths of the doctrines of grace and the superiority of of the ministry of the Apostle Paul over the ministry of Moses. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Again, please do turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 uh, through 11. And uh, I'm going to read that verse in its entirety, and then we're going to look at three different sections, which I'll explain in just a minute. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. God says, Paul writes... But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. 
what the Apostle Paul is doing here, he's kind of following up on the thought that came to us from verse uh, uh, 6 of chapter 2, uh, who, uh, where he says this, uh, God, who made us ad- as adequate as servants of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And he's going to expand on this idea that the letter kills. He's going to expand on this idea of exposing the, the, the problems with the old covenant, especially in comparison of the new covenant. And the reason why he's going to do this is probably the people that were plaguing him personally, that were attacking him, the false teachers at Corinth, were probably of the, of the, of the Judaizing type in that they were trying to bring in this kind of hybrid mutt dog idea of, 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 of Christianity with uh, Judaism uh, and perhaps even some, uh, some pagan philosophy in there. Uh, and that basically they were, ju- they were just like every other man-made religion. You got to do this to earn favor with God. And that this is the sacraments and the, uh, uh, of Judaism, the keeping of the ceremonies, the circumcision, and, and things like that. So that's one reason why he's probably uh, uh, exposing the weakness of the old covenants here, because he really wants to emphasize the fact that, that grace has replaced, uh, the emphasis of grace has replaced the emphasis on works here. Now, it's interesting, too, next week is Reformation Sunday. And if there was ever anything that Reformation stood for, it was, it was the exaltation of grace, the rediscovery of grace. And it's remarkable to me, if you, as we go through, we just finished the, the, the Gospel of Mark, as you go through the Old Testament and you see just how legalistic the Jewish church became and how that is the tendency, even the temptation of many of the Christian churches early on to, to just embrace that, 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 that whole principle of rules and regulations to earn God's fair favor and to earn salvation. You see, the, the, the Christian church became the same way during the medieval period. And one of the wonderful truths of the Reformation is that it exposed the weakness of that and went back to Scripture and rediscovered this whole principle of grace. But all Scripture is glorious. The old covenant had glory. The new covenant has glory. This idea of this principle of glory is mentioned ten different times just in these verses. So it's, it, does it confuse you sometimes when you look at Scripture and you feel like Scripture is attacking, some Scripture is attacking other parts of Scripture? Well, as we journey through this passage today, as we look at the, uh, each one of these verses, uh, and as that's, we rely on our old friend, uh, our favorite uh, Baptist Puritan, John Bunyan, with some accounts uh, from Pilgrim's Progress, I, my, my hope is that you're going to really understand the glory of the New Testament, of the New Covenant is so much more wonderful than the glory of the Old Testament, even though it was indeed Glorious. So we're going to break out this passage in three different parts. You'll find an insert in your bulletin on the home group helps that might be of assistance to you. Uh, And you'll see here the new covenant is of the spirit, not of the law, verses 7 through 8. The new covenant provides righteousness, not condemnation, verses 9 through 10. And the new covenant lasts forever and does not fade away in verse 11. So first of all, you see here the idea of the new covenant is of the spirit, not of the law. And that's how Paul uh, kind of opens up here. here. And, and he's, he's making a defense of his apostleship, of course. Uh, uh, and, and he does so by pre- representing the gospel because people have gotten confused. They've, they've, grown, um, they've grown fuzzy on the details of the gospel message that Paul planted that church with. Uh, and they're starting to embrace this form of legalism uh, that's been coming to them. And, and Paul himself is being attacked. And again, uh, you look at Paul and you look at his defense and his claims of apostleship and his calling, which, of course, are all validated by Holy Scripture. I mean, he literally, face-to-face, was called by Jesus Christ to be apostle to the Gentiles. And you wonder if he's a little cocky, (laughs) but he's not. 
if Paul falls, the whole New Testament falls. If Paul falls, in a sense, grace falls. And so Paul has to defend his apostleship. If Corinth falls, the entire Greek uh, peninsula and maybe Macedonia, maybe the rest of Europe will fall. So it, 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 is, it is important for him to defend himself. So he does so by going back to the Old Testament. Now, it would help you for me to kind of go back to that passage to kind of remind you what it is he's talking about. Because he talks about here a ministry of death and letters engraved on stone and the glory of Moses' face as it shines. So let me go back to Exodus chapter 34, and we're going to look at excerpts there. Uh, the, the, the scene is this. If you remember, uh, Moses has led the Exodus out of Egypt, out of bondage in Egypt. Uh, and, and, I mean, it has to be like he is the babysitter for 18,000 toddlers. I mean, they are whining and complaining and meism all the way along through the, throughout the desert. And he is, he is struggling with them. He goes up and he gets the first Ten Commandments, right? Meets with God. God writes the first Ten Commandments. And he comes back and they're worshiping a golden calf. Now think about that. For comparison's sake, think, about, think if you were God and someone says, I really want to honor you. I've made something that looks just like you that I'm going to worship, and here it is. And they wheel out a golden cow. We get half the ingredients of tacos from a cow. How insulting is that? And yet, after all this glory on the mountain, Moses comes down, and they're bowing down to a golden cow. Well, God will have none of that. He ends up you know, striking some of them dead, and Moses is so angry, he breaks the tablet. So he's got to go back up to the mountain and get a second set, right? And uh, so this is the point. He's going up there to get the second set at this point in time in Exodus 34. So he cut out, that is Moses, he cut out two stone tablets like the former ones, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai. As the Lord had commanded him, and he took tombstone tablets in his hand. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands and forgives iniquity, transgression and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished visiting iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship. He said, If I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray, let the Lord go along in, your, in our midst, even though the people are so obstinate, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your own possession. Then God said, Behold, I am going to make a covenant before all your people, I will perform miracles which have not been produced in all the earth among any of the nations, and all the people among whom you live will see the working of the Lord. For it is a fearful thing that I am going to perform to you. Be sure to observe all that I am commanding on this day. And it came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of testimony were in Moses' hand as he was coming down from the mountain, that Moses did not know the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him. So when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers in the congregation returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. Afterward, all the sons of Israel came near, and he commanded them to do everything the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. 
You needed that background a little bit because that's, of course, what Apostle Paul is referring back to. Uh, He had made the Corinthians aware of this situation. He's reminding them of this Old Testament. They probably had a a, a copy of the Old Testament uh, scriptures at this point in time. And now Paul's going to kind of open up that that whole scene there, and he's going to move on here, and he's going to compare the lesser with the greater. This is a a basic philosophical debate, if you will, uh, technique to compare uh, the the, the lesser with the greater here. So he's going to begin to go here with the lesser, but if it's ministry of death. Now, you think about all the glory that was on Sinai. The, the, the shaking of the mountain, the, the fire, the, the glow of the Lord, the, the tablets of stone were written by the very hand of God. The glory was such that it even, it even in a sense, rubbed off on Moses. That is, his face glowed. And yet, what does Paul call it? He calls it the ministry of death. The ministry of death. The reason why is because the law cannot and does not and never did save anyone. As one commentator said, the law reveals to people their utter inability to live according to God's holy standard and thus their need for a redeemer. That, do, uh, that does not mean there's not anything wrong with the law. On the contrary, the law is, according to Romans 7.12, holy and righteous and good. The problem lies not in the law, but in sinners' inability to keep it, right? I mean, as God was passing by Moses, he was reminding Moses of how charitable, how gracious he was. And Moses has, has got these tablets, and he can look down and think, well, we're going to need a lot of grace here. And that was really the point of the law here. But the law itself, written on tablets, did not give people the power to obey. It really just showed them how disobedient they were, because they're all children of Adam, of the first Adam. And that tendency to sin is just part of us. It's part of our DNA. He talks about the letters engraved on stones, of course. He's talking about the old covenant uh, uh, signified in the giving of the Ten Commandments. But even that was glorious because it came from God. It came from God. So uh, the law condemned sinners by defining God's standard of righteousness. And then he goes on to say that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because the glory of his face here. This also uh, requires maybe a little bit of uh, of background. Remember, the the people of God, they were there in Egypt, and then uh, Moses brought them out. They had seen the parting of the Red Sea. They had seen the various plagues. They saw the destruction of Pharaoh's army. They knew this God was pretty serious. And that he was a God of justice and a God of wrath. Uh, and they had seen that. And they had seen the shaking of Sinai and the, and the trembling and, and that sort of thing. And they had seen the death of those who disobeyed God and that sort of thing. They were terrified of him. They were terrified of him. To the point where, on the one hand, they were willing to worship him. On the other hand, they wanted to get as far away from him as they possibly could. Now, there's a contrast, right? Y'all, y'all have come here today to be as close to God as you can be. Right there we see uh, one of the glories of the new, new covenant. But go back to Exodus chapter 20, uh, verse 18. And all the people perceived the thunder and the lightning, the flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but let not God speak to us or we will die. Doesn't that kind of break your heart? I mean, how many times have you said, God, speak to me, God, speak to me? I just need to see you. Let me just see your backside like Moses did. Uh, we just want to be near God. And the people had that opportunity. And they said, no, 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 Moses, you speak to us. Let God tell you, and then you tell us, and that will suit us just fine. To get God terrifies us because he, they, they saw him as a God of judgment because they understood the law. 
was, in a sense, a ministry of death here. And then the, uh, uh, we talk about the, the, he's, he's kind of transitioning with the emphasis of the law is, is maru- removed with the emphasis on grace. Again, this is the, really the theme of the entire letter of Hebrews. So if you have a struggle with the idea of, of the law being replaced by the new covenant here, you might want to look at the, the letter to the Hebrews. But let me pick up on Hebrews chapter 8 here, verses 6 through 9. But now he, that is Christ, has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises. For the first covenant had been, if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says, now he's going back to the Old Testament here, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the old covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them, by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Okay, so that's the lesser. He's, gonna, he's pointing back to the Old Testament, the Old Testament covenant at Sinai. Now he's going to talk about the greater. Uh, and then, uh, and, and part of the evidence of the greater is this, this is now a ministry of the Spirit, okay? Now the idea of the new covenant, it, it, it's not like this is an upgraded old covenant. New means here uh, is different, in, 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 uh, not in a sense of its subsequent in time, but a different covenant which is coming in. And we see this in Ezekiel chapter 36 as, as well as Jeremiah. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness and from all of your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Did you catch how many times God said he was going to do something? There was none of this, you shall not, you shall not, you shall, you shall. It's all, I will, I will, I will, I will. I am going to cleanse you. I am going to put my spirit within you, and you're going to walk in my statutes because I'm giving you the power to do so. That is the covenant we're under, folks. That's what it means to be saved by grace. It's just overwhelming sometimes. He says here, he does a comparison of glory, glory here. The Old Testament had glory, but the New Testament has so much so that instead of trying to hide from God, we draw close to God. Literally, the spirit within us pulls us closer to God. We love God. If Moses were to walk in with that shiny face right now, we'd go, whoa, and we'd go up and we'd, we'd like try to do a big group hug or something. Well, okay, that illustration fell down real fast, but you know what I mean. We wouldn't be afraid of it. We wouldn't be hiding from it. We wouldn't run in terror because, uh, because of all the violation of the law that we had committed. So the law could never bring about change. Matter of fact, what Paul talks about in Romans, how the law sometimes even stirs up sin within us, doesn't it? You know, if you don't believe that's true you got a toddler who wants to touch something, and you tell them, I'm kind of picking on toddlers today. I'm like an expert. I raised four. Uh, you know, they want to touch something. You go, don't touch that. And they get a little bit closer. And I'm telling you, you better not touch. This is going to be if you're, if you're a bad parent, you keep warning them instead of just disciplining them. Now I'm picking on parent. I've alienated half of you already. <laughs> don't touch that. And he looks at you. I'm telling you, I'm warning for the last time. A little bit closer. What's going to happen? He's going to grab it. You're going to lose your temper. That's why you make sure your word is true the first time. We're like that. Oh, there's a rule. Hmm, how many ways can I break it? This is what goes through our mind. Well, let's get help from our favorite Baptist, uh, John Bunyan, 
Let me pick up here with Pilgrim's Progress. Christian is interpreter's house. That's probably some of the meatiest part of of uh, Pilgrim's Progress, where, where you get all these, uh, these interpretations and interpreter's house here. Let me pick up here. And then the interpreter took Christian by the hand and led into a very large parlor that was full of dust because it was never swept. After he had reviewed in a little while, the interpreter called for a man to come and sweep. Now, when he began to sweep, the dust began to fly about so much and was so thick that Christian almost choked. Then said the interpreter to a damsel who stood nearby, bring water and sprinkle the room. When she had done so as requested, it was swept and cleansed cleansed very pleasantly. Then Christian asked, what does this mean? The interpreter answered, this parlor is the heart of a man that has never been sanctified by the sweet grace of the gospel. The dust is his original sin and inward corruptions and have defiled the whole man. The first man that began to sweep is the law, the damsel that brought water and sprinkled it in the uh, uh, sprinkled it in the in the is the gospel. I'm sorry, the damsel that brought it in and sprinkled it is the gospel. You saw that as soon as the man began to sweep, the dust filled the room so thickly uh, that it uh, could not be cleansed, and you almost choked on it. This uh, is to show you that the law, instead of cleansing the heart from sin, actually revives, increases, and adds strength to it. Even though the law uncovers the for, uh, and forbids sin, it is powerless to conquer or subdue it at all. Then you also saw the damsel sprinkle the room with water, after which it was pleasingly cleansed. This is to show you the way in which the gospel comes into the heart with its sweet and precious influences. You saw the damsel clear the dust from the room by sprinkling the the floor with water. This shows how sin is vanquished and subdued and the soul made clean through the faith and consequently fit for the king of glory to inhabit. You get all that? You get that illustration? you've actually probably experienced this before, right? I've experienced this. I can hardly read this because my eyes are so swollen because I vacuumed the driveway yesterday. So for you college students who come to the college student lunch, you're going to go, that is some clean driveway, you know, which I hope you enjoy because I can't see right now because of all the dust. Uh, I mean, it's just everywhere, right? But it's true. If you have a dusty room, you just sprinkle some water out, that dust collects and it falls down. That's the law versus grace. The, 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 the law sweeps up all that dust of sin because we are corrupt. And yet the gospel comes in and cleanses us. It sprinkles clean water on us, as Ezekiel says. Now we see here the new covenant provides righteousness, not condemnation. For the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. Remember, he's comparing the lesser to the greater. For indeed, what had glory in the case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it here. So, so again, no one is saved by, the, uh, by the, the law. It just shows them how sinful they are. Therefore, the greater argument here is much more the ministry that abounds in glory. You know, the, Paul, Paul laments the legalism of his day and how, the, how his Jewish countrymen had just completely forgotten the calling of the new covenant and the promise of the new covenant. And they had killed the one who was making it come true, Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection. In Romans 10, Paul says this, for not knowing, talking about the Jew, his Jewish counterparts, for not knowing about God's righteousness and in seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. You know, that is a summary of every man-made religion, isn't it? Not knowing about 
grace, the righteousness that God does, I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you. I'm going to cleanse you from your idols. I'm going to bring you the Holy Spirit. They, they end up establishing their own law, their own rules. And what almost always happens is you lower the bar down to your standards, which you can keep, instead of God's standards, because they're just impossible to keep, because we're sinful people. In Romans 8, 2, he says this, The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So the summary statement here is, For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. It's, it's kind of like comparing a light bulb to the sun. You don't even see the light bulb because of the glory of the sun. And because of that, because of that, honestly, Roman, uh, RUF is memorizing Romans 8? Good, okay. Well, here's your first four verses. Let's all stand and recite Romans 8, 4, 1 through 4. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Don't you love those words? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Jesus gives a powerful illustration of what this looks like in Luke chapter 18. And he also told in this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying to himself, God, I thank that that, that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I pay tithes and all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Some of you aren't Christians. And some of you are waiting for you to get your act together before you become a Christian, let me tell you, you're going to be waiting for a really long time. Some of you aren't Christians because you think Christians think you're better than you are, and that's a misunderstanding. You know what a Christian is? Christian is that tax collector, not even willing to raise his eyes toward heaven. Have forgiveness of me. I am a miserable sinner. I am in such need of grace. How do you know that? Because the law condemns me. Yet the Pharisee said, I'm pretty good at that law thing. That's the legalists versus those who are embracing grace. That's the power of the new covenant. Then we see the, and the third one is the new covenant lasts forever and does not fade away. For if that which fades away has glory, much more that remains in glory. Again, he's, the lesser here is that which fades away. That is the, the, the law and it is fading away. This is one of the, the points you see in, in Hebrews is, is that the priest have to offer sacrifices over and over and over again. It, it, sin's never completely taken care of, right? It, it, it just kind of keeps going and keeps going. Hebrews 10 says this, For the law, since it was only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very former things, can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year 
make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to offer because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins year by year, for it is impossible for the uh, the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So as glorious as was the Old Testament, it, 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 it just kept going. It kept the, 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 the new covenant lasts forever, but this law, this law just never really worked. It just had to keep going and keep going and keep going, but it never really fixed anything. Uh, forgiveness was never, uh, was never complete as opposed to the completion of our forgiveness on the cross of Calvary. One commentator says this, uh, it was a fading, passing glory. It was not the solution to the plight of sinners. The old covenant prescribed that men, uh, what men were to do because, uh, uh, but to do could not enable them to do. It provided a basis for damnation, but not salvation, for condemnation, but not for justification, for moral culpability, but not for moral purity. So he goes to the argument of the greater. Much more then remains in glory here. Uh, th- there's never going to be a new, new covenant. There's never going to be a newer covenant. There's never going to be a better covenant. The new covenant is it. You have the covenants there given uh, and the Garden of Eden and the covenant of grace that comes, and you have the, uh, the calling, uh, uh, well, you have the covenant of Noah, you have the cov- calling of Abraham, the covenant with Abraham, you have the law of Moses, the Old Testament covenant, you have the covenant made with David that there's going to be someone ruling within his house forever and ever, fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it stops. Then you have all the prophets, and they're talking about this new covenant. And here comes Jesus on the scene to fulfill and to bring about that new covenant. There's so much more glory in that than there ever was before. One commentator says, The old covenant demands righteousness. The new covenant confers it. The old covenant made people hearers of the truth. The new covenant enables them to be doers of the truth. Again, Going back to John Bunyan in the Pilgrim's Progress, Faithful is now having a conversation with Christian. His, uh, Faithful is his companion. And now when I, Faithful, had climbed about, uh, about halfway up, I, behold, I looked behind and saw someone coming up after me, swift as the wind. Soon he overtook me just about the place where the arbor stands. That is the place, said Christian, where I sat down to rest and fell asleep. Dear brother, hear me out, Faithful urged. So as soon as the man overtook me, without saying a word, he struck me and knocked me down unconscious. When I came to, I asked him why he had thus assaulted me. He said that it was because of my secret inclination to follow Adam the first. And with that, he struck me with another deadly blow on the chest and beat me down backward, and I lay at his feet as if I were dead. So when I came to, I cried to him for mercy, but he said, I do not know how to show mercy. And with that, knocked me down again. And he would have beaten me to death, except one came by and told him to stop. Who was it that told him to stop? Faithful went on. I did not recognize him at first, but as he went by, I saw the wounds in his hands and in his side. Then I concluded that it was our Lord, so I continued up the hill. Christian then explained, the man who overtook you was Moses. He spares no one, and he does not know how to show mercy to anyone who transgresses his law. That's really powerful, isn't it? Without Christ, you're just going to be bludgeoned by Moses. Now, Moses had glory. God shone on his face, but it wasn't complete 
and it was fading away. How much better are we to be under the new covenant where Christ comes and fulfills the law of Moses and for those who are in Christ, you fulfill it within him. So the Apostle Paul, for all of his humility, is dares to compare his ministry, the ministry of the new covenant, with the ministry of Moses, the ministry of the old covenant. And he says both have glory, but the new covenant has so much more glory. Y'all, that's your message. And that brings you glory when you bring that message to others. And that's the reason for our church to be here. Because most people tend towards this, this old covenant kind of lifestyle. But those of us who've cried out before the Lord, who are not even willing to lift our eyes, who recognize what sinners we are and are saved by Jesus Christ, that have the Holy Spirit within us, that writes the law on our hearts, not on tablets of stones, we get that glory, don't we? That's a good story. And it's too much to keep to ourselves. Father, we thank you that you have shown us things that so many people don't understand. And we recognize our utter inability to grasp them ourselves. So we thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it's so true, even as we were just maybe a half an hour, 45 minutes ago, confessing our sins, we kept confessing our sins and we thought how much we hate them. How much we hate them. How much we love your law. But we thank you, God, that we, we recognize we are not who we ought to be. We were also recognize we are not who we were. That through the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we can, we can love your law and keep it better than without. So we bless you, Lord, for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the new covenant. We thank you, God, that we are people who are under the new covenant. And because of that, because all of those curses that are new covenant were met on the cross, we can have hope. And that is indeed glorious. In Christ's name, amen.